Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going to take a look at the book of Isaiah over the next few weeks. Um, and what we want to do is have a look at the vision of hope that he plants in a very dark, corrupt place. As a church, we want to spend the next few weeks lifting our heads up, getting a really big view of God, and staring directly into his heart and his vision and his promises. I genuinely believe we're going to find it supernaturally powerful. My prayer is that today our hearts are ignited with a bit of faith fuel and just full of Christ. You will all be aware that I consume most of my content through Audible, listening to books, listening to podcasts. It enables me to ingest way more information a lot faster than if I physically picked up and tried to read a book. Just for clarity, I did learn how to read. I'm just really, really slow. I'm subscribed to a number of channels across Audible, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and and I keep the content that I consume pretty narrow. It's either the subject of understanding the Bible or learning how to grow in leadership. That's it. That's all I've got. I am a one-dimensional, uncomplex individual. (laughs) Uh, Unless you ask the people who actually know me. But if you've listened to any of the sermons uh, from Tim Keller online, he, there's a, a, you can subscribe to Gospel in Life, you will have heard the same statement repeated over and over again. Because at the start of all of his sermons, there is this lady who introduces Timothy Keller's sermons. And she reiterates the single narrative of the Bible. It says this, The Bible is a series of... The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories each one with a little moral for how to live. On the contrary, it is primarily a single story. The Bible is an account of who made the world and how it was ruined, how the maker will rescue it through Jesus Christ, and that how someday it will be remade into a new heaven and new earth. I found myself, probably over the last 10 years, unlearning and relearning the truth of that statement. I grew up in church. I have learned many Bible stories. I know them and I'm familiar with them, but I saw them each as an individual story with a truth to teach me something. But you see, that's only a tiny fraction of why those stories are in Scripture. My journey has been uh, one from viewing the Bible of a collection of individual stories or books that can be learned for my moral or spiritual benefit to seeing the Bible as one single narrative from start to end. And it has been many years of rewiring my brain, and I'm still on that journey. But today I want to just try to to spend some time sharing that with you. So to start our series in the book of Isaiah, we're going to start to see Isaiah in the context of the whole biblical narrative. We are going to cover a lot of ground. We will dip our toe in the history, we will have a look at the literature that Isaiah uses, and we will pull out a few themes that he starts talking about. But every single time, we will land on a pin on Jesus. So if you haven't had a coffee this morning, 
now is the time I suggest you go and get one <laughs> and probably get a couple of sugars too. Isaiah was written, the book of Isaiah was written 3,000 years ago from today. It was written in the Hebrew language with an ancient Middle Eastern culture. It uses poetry to articulate its thought and it repeats the themes in a cycle and adds more and more depth as it goes. So when you read the book of Isaiah in 2023, in a nice little simple English translation that you have in front of you on your mobile phone, through the lens of a modern Western world, you might find it really hard to understand. When you get to the prophets in the Bible, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they are mostly poetic and visual in nature. And they assume that you, the reader, has tracked the themes of what they're talking about through the Bible already, so you understand what they're talking about. But we don't, do we? So I want to spend the next 25 minutes trying to help us see the wood from the trees um, and leave our hearts full of a wonder of God and a love for Jesus Christ. We've read Isaiah chapter 1. Let me read the the first four verses of chapter 2 again. This is a vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above all the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths, for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, and his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between, between nations. They will set, he will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor will train for war anymore. Isaiah is writing 300 years after King David and 700 years before Jesus turns up on the scene. The kingdom of Israel is made of 12 tribes, descendants from the ch- children of Israel. And together they have ruled um, with their kings for 100 years. And then those 12 tribes have a fallen out and they split. They didn't even last three generations of kings. David, Solomon, Rehoboam. And under the rule of Rehoboam, they divided into 12 and 2. 10, sorry, 10 and 2. 10 tribes go to the northern kingdom called Israel. Their capital city is Samaria and they choose their own kings. It leaves two tribes in the southern part of Israel, (coughs) Judah and Simeon, and they form Judah. Their capital city is Jerusalem and they have kings that descend from David. But after splitting into two, the northern kingdom lasts about 200 years before it is overthrown and falls into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. Do you know what the capital city of Assyria is? Was? Nineveh. Ring any bells? Prophet went to Nineveh 40 years before they came to overthrow the northern kingdom of Israel. His name was Jonah. And Jonah preached repentance to the city of Nineveh, and they repented. And it bore Israel 40 years to turn back and follow God. They didn't. Assyria was a really cruel empire. And you can see it on the map, it covered a vast part of the Middle East that we know today. Somehow Judah, the southern kingdom, survived. 
They withstood the attempts, and they create a tiny little oasis in the vast empire of Assyria where God is trying to win the hearts of his people back. Really interesting story that I was reading around through the king of Hezekiah, the fourth king that Isaiah was alive under the rule of. Hezekiah is being besieged by the Assyrian empire, and he decides to dig a tunnel through solid rock for 600 yards to get a, to, a, to, to a spring called Gihon so that he can help keep Jerusalem safe from the siege of Assyria. And he is successful. And it helps Jerusalem withstand the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrian army leave. 700 years later, guess who goes to that spring of Gihon? Now it's called the Pool of Siloam. And there a man called Jesus instructs a blind man to wash his eyes and give his sight back. During the reign of Hezekiah, Isaiah was preaching a message of hope and salvation that God would heal the nation and bring back salvation. When Jesus came, he fulfilled everything that Isaiah was talking about. He went to the places that were deemed to try to keep Jerusalem safe and secure and he opened the eyes of the broken and the outcast and he spread the kingdom the real kingdom of God but despite warnings from all of the prophets that lived at the time and seeing the northern kingdom go into exile the southern kingdom lasts just 130 more years before the Babylon empire rises up takes over Assyria and comes and destroys Jerusalem that's where you hear stories of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel in the lion's den. The people of God are in a complete mess. Only three generations after enjoying their most prosperous and abundant period of peace, everything just seems lost. So up step Isaiah with a vision of hope. Isaiah lives through four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preaches for about 50 or 60 years before he is brutally murdered by Hezekiah's son, King Manasseh, who, in my humble opinion, is probably the most evil king that has ever set foot on planet Earth. Jewish tradition believes that either Manasseh saw Isaiah in half with a wooden saw or put him inside a hollow trunk of a tree and chopped the tree in half. He didn't like God's message. Isaiah starts preaching just as the northern kingdom is being taken away by Assyria. So he focuses much of his time on Judah and the southern kingdom and the similar fate that's about to come to them. He preaches at the time where he has two contemporaries, Hosea, who preaches to the northern kingdom, and Micah, who preaches to the southern kingdom. You can also read their books in the Bible. But every single, all three of them have the same message. God abhors the sins of his people. Judgment is certain without repentance, but there is hope in the future. Isaiah's name means salvation is of the Lord. It's built up of two words, Yeshua, which we get Joshua, Jesus, salvation, and Yahweh, which means Lord. Yeshayahu is Isaiah's name. So it's no surprise that the main thrust of the series that we will look at and the theme that runs through the book of Isaiah is God will bring about salvation. He provides a vision of hope in a really dark time. The word salvation appears 26 times in the book of Isaiah. Compare that to only appearing seven times 
in all other 15 prophets combined. He marries a prophetess. They have two sons. One is called, excuse my Hebrew, Shia Jashub, and the other one is called Mahashala Hajbaz, which is actually (laughs) the longest word in the Bible. (laughs) One meant a remnant will return. The other meant meant haste to come back to the spoil. Both speak indicatively of God's salvation, of returning and overthrowing captivity. Isaiah is talking about hope. So we're going to have a look at three things that Isaiah, really his main themes of the book as we start our series. We're going to look at God's city of Jerusalem, the exile of God's people, and the promise of a Messiah. And I want to capture just the majesty of God and the beauty of Jesus as we look at each of these three topics. The city of Jerusalem. When we read in chapter one, it was really clear that Isaiah doesn't hold back any punches. I I could feel some of the gasps, the language that he uses as we read it. He jumps in two-footed and he he describes the tragic state of Jerusalem as the city of God. And And he focuses on that the city of Jerusalem is not in relationship with God as it was intended, and it isn't representing God as it was intended. God deplores the sins of his people. He says, I have nourished you, but you have rebelled against me. Even the ox knows its owner, but you don't know your master. You have provoked the Holy One of of Israel to anger. The people of God are still practicing their Jewish tradition, but it's a religious veneer. They are following the strict adherence to the Torah, but it had just become a fast. Their internal character had not changed, and so it was abhorrent to God. To what purpose is this multitude of sacrifices? I have had enough. The presence of your wickedness I cannot bear. The rebellion of God's people had created a dark chasm between God and themselves. The city of Jerusalem, the city of God had been corrupted and God cannot bear it any longer. They were oppressing the poor and the social outcast. They were not caring for, protecting the orphan or the widow. And so God calls them out and he says, you need a change of heart. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, look after the orphan. And so through Isaiah's preaching, Jerusalem is given a choice. Repent and eat of the goodness of God. Refuse and face purifying judgment. Isaiah ends his introduction in chapter 1 with a look at the state of the city of Jerusalem. He says that in the past, he calls it a faithful city, full of justice and righteousness, image-bearing God's character to the nations around. At present, Isaiah calls it a prostitute city. The faithful city is now full of murderers. It's departed far away from following God and representing. And then he looks into the future and he calls out that what Jerusalem will not do for itself... God will do for it. These were the words in 1, uh, 1 verse 26. I will turn my hand upon you. I will purge away your dross. I will restore justice and you will then be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. In this city, God will be represented well. The people of the earth will flock to it and God's word will be heard, understood and obeyed. We read in chapter 2, in the last day, the mountain of the Lord will be made high. The people will come in and the, and the teaching of God will go out. God originally established righteousness, peace, and blessing. Not in a city, but in a garden. Mm. But now in Isaiah, he's promising peace, righteousness, and blessing to come out of a city. 
These prophetic words that Isaiah is starting to prophesy should echo back to Eden. Are you ready to go on a bit of a detour? Mm-hmm. Through the Bible? Tough, that's what we're doing. <laughs> the, ideal, I, the ideal situation for, for God and humans as his partners and image bearers is to dwell in a place where heaven and earth overlap where the heavenly realm exists with the physical realm. And here in Isaiah's vision, it's the mountain of the Lord, the house of Jacob, the city Zion, a place where people can stream up and worship God and be taught and leave. God created a place like this right at the beginning. It was a lush garden on a mountain, the Eden paradise. But the humans rebelled and they were exiled from that garden. And the folly of the parents was just magnified generation after generation after generation. One of the sons, Cain, killed his brother, Abel, and he flees and builds the first city. And so now we have two parallels in the Bible, a lush garden of paradise where God can dwell and a city where murderous humans build high walls and barricade themselves in away from God. But it's the next city in the Bible that's really important. And it features here in the book of Isaiah. Founded by a warrior king, the centre of this city has a tower that is built all the way up to heaven so that they can make their name great. The name of that city? Babel. Babylon. That city would spread its violence through the whole of time, conquering many nations, including the people of God in Isaiah's time. Babylon is the biblical image of a monstrous evil city. There are some positive cities in the Bible. Joseph, co-ruler of Egypt, gathers all of the storehouses of the Egypt empire and he blesses all of the nations around that are in famine. But even that city, birthplace of the slavery of the people of God. And eventually God calls out Abraham and he multiplies their family into a nation and gives them a promised land and a king comes called David and he establishes a capital city called Jerusalem and he gets the dwelling place of God and he bangs it right in the middle and he says, this is God's city. I'm going to redeem a city. I'm going to allow it to be the image of a good city where God's presence and people can dwell together. And he starts redeeming this horrid narrative of of cities in the Bible. And Jerusalem becomes abundant and prosperous. and And it enjoys the presence of God and it blesses nations around it. But you will have seen as we read Isaiah chapter 1 that it didn't last very long. And Isaiah is so bent out of shape of the state of the city of Jerusalem. It was supposed to be God's sacred city. But this Jerusalem had become the complete opposite of the design of God's garden. See how faithful city has become a prostitute. You were like silver. You were like the best wine. You were like the best partner. But now you're like a prostitute. Your rulers are rebels. Your partners are thieves. You love bribes. No one defends the cause of the orphan or the widow. Jerusalem city's ward had been built to barricade themselves in for self-protection and keep resources for themselves and not to bless others as it was intended to do in the picture of the garden. The mindset of Jerusalem, which Isaiah calls out, is pride, self-preservation and oppression. It's completely the opposite of what God designed in the garden. 
peace through generosity, abundance for everybody, the rivers flowing out to bless nations. So when Isaiah starts prophesying, here in Isaiah chapter 1 and 2, it's actually a bit of a surprise in the biblical story that God plans to redeem his garden in a city. Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Isaiah is maintaining hope that God will one day create a heavenly city here on earth with streams going out and nations coming in. When Jesus came, he announced the kingdom of God was here. He took people up on a hill and in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are a city on a hill. Just like Isaiah said was going to happen. One of the first sermons that Jesus has in front of thousands of people, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're a city on a hill. Your light is going to shine bright. You're going to bless many nations. And so when we gather together and we share in the kingdom of God's life, we can taste the life and the love of that heavenly city. The story of the Bible is not about us humans building a city up to heaven, but the garden city of God coming out of heaven onto earth. Revelation 21, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. One thread that Isaiah pulls out started in the garden Ends in Revelation. N.T. Wright, who I have just started to fall in love with, um, thanks for somebody in the... John, thank you. Um, He says this, Our culture is so fixated on dying and going to heaven when the whole scripture is about heaven coming to earth. Isaiah's hope is that for God to restore the city of Jerusalem. But first, in his time, they are going to have to be exiled. They are going to, they are going to be judged for their rebellion against Yahweh. They have become enemies. And so Babylon, the bigger evil city, will come and destroy them and take them away. But it's not a complete destruction. This will purify them and it will remove the waste and the impurities and the dross and they will come back out of exile as a picture of this city of faithfulness and righteousness which will one day be redeemed through Jesus. So our second theme. I will speed up, I promise. The exile of God's people. There is something beautiful about just coming home, isn't there? Like it's a place where you're surrounded like by... uh, loved ones or your teddies and your sofa and like you can just chill and like just be in your casual clothes and no one seems to bother about it there's a feeling of like safety and stability I occasionally have to do quite a bit of travel with with work and whilst I do actually do some work whilst I am traveling I do sometimes happen to find myself in some very beautiful cities around the world um, I'd obviously never go sightseeing on purpose when I'm working. I would never FaceTime Izzy whilst walking through the streets of Florence um, and then realise that she's got two kids to deal with whilst I'm enjoying a nice uh, glass of wine. But th- there, are, there, are some, there, there does get a point whilst you're away that you just want to get home. Like, you just, you just want to go home. Even when you're on holiday, I find. It gets to a point when I'm on holiday, I just want to go home. Like, I want my own house. I want my own stuff in my house. Uh, it's got to a point in our house when, when we go on holiday, 
Not only are we expected to pack our bags for vacation, we are expected to clean the house before we go on holiday. <laughs> Wash the bedding and the towels, scrub the surfaces of the kitchen and the bathroom, nice and clean, and then we shall depart for vacation. <laughs> the reason? So that when we leave vacation and we come back home, we walk into a clean, organised, peaceful house, and it is a delight. <laughs> When I say we have to pack and we have to clean, <laughs> I mean Izzy has to pack and Izzy has to clean. I use the royal wheel quite a bit and I do get into a lot of trouble. But then she does make the rules. <laughs> Whilst some people have a safe and secure house, not everybody does. Many people don't. Many people are forced to leave their house, leave their home, and live in a foreign land. An exile, which is what the Bible calls it, is very disorientating. You live in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible here in Isaiah, where the people of God find themselves, the northern kingdom captured by Assyria, then the southern kingdom captured by Babylon, all living in exile far from their homeland. When I do travel for work, I meet some incredible individuals. I am really blessed to, to work with quite a diverse group of people, uh, many, many from different backgrounds and walks of life and, and experiences. And earlier this year in the summer, I went to the South Coast to visit a few of our team. And I was sat in a room talking to a handful of individuals that, that worked in the building, and they were sharing with me why they loved coming to work. It wasn't exactly a conversation I was expecting to have. But they retold their stories, of having to leave their families behind, having to travel hundreds and thousands of miles of losing members of their family to civil war in Africa and Europe. They loved coming to work because they had found a new family. They wanted to hang out before their shift. They went together to the beach at the end of the day. This was their new home. As we were having that conversation, it was really clear that they were longing for what was lost. And in truth, it broke my heart. And it made me even more determined to ensure that everyone that, has, that I have the responsibility and privilege for at work gets a taste of what some would call home from home. I call it the kingdom of God. <laughs> Humanity is exiled from the garden. They were given one condition to live in that paradise, trust and follow God, which they did not. And so the consequences was exile. That story is supposed to jog your mind and bring you to the biblical narrative that Isaiah is standing in. The people of God have been given a promised land to live in. Their covenant, one condition, the be faithful for the terms of the relationship with God, which they were not. And so just like the first humanity, this humanity would be sent into exile. And just like the first one was sent into exile, it created the city of Babel, this nation would be sent into exile under the rule of that city, Babel. Isaiah's vision is that one day a king will come and he will bring all of Babylon's creation under destruction and free those people from exile. That king that he talks about, Jesus, he wandered around this earth like he didn't have a home. He lived in this world like an exile. And in death, he went into exile for us so that 
as he entered into exile, he could draw alongside that were in exile and show them a way home. He was the fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. Jesus says, I am the way. The real return of exile has begun. So I, I told you a little lie at the start. I actually do read some books. Well, technically, I look at them. They're picture books. <laughs> Here is a page from a book that I bought myself last year because nobody else buys me books anymore. The content of this book I keep going back to, and it just keeps blowing my mind. Now, I'm not blessed with good camera skills, so I apologize for the page that's showing on the, the screen. It's the Infographic Bible by Karen Sori. It is awesome. And what this page is trying to show you is of all of the Old Testament in the left-hand page that talks about Jesus, which of those books then get fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And I've helped you out a little bit. Which book has the biggest number of times it talks about Jesus and Jesus fulfills it in the New Testament? Anyone want to answer? Isaiah. Isaiah. What Isaiah is doing in this book, whilst we find it very complicated to read and digest, is he is, he is planting seeds of the richest, riches of God's salvation. He, he talks in the very first two chapters that we've mentioned of, of sins being washed clean, nations being made at peace, People from all of the world streaming into the city of Zion and the preaching going out of Zion. It's a theme that Isaiah will develop over and over in cycles, in more and more depth, and we get a tiny little clue in the chapter, first chapter of how that will happen. Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. During these dark days, Isaiah keeps talking about a coming king who will defeat evil and sin. He will restore peace and harmony in a garden city called Jerusalem. Fast forward a few chapters, we get to chapter 9, and Isaiah says specifically how this happens. How will the weapons of war be hammered into agricultural instruments how no one will train for war anymore a child will be born to us a son will be given and the government will rest on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace his government of peace will know no end he will rule with fairness and justice from a throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. Isaiah speaks of the Messiah throughout all of his writing. He will talk to us about the incarnation, his youth, his character, the obedience. He will talk to, of some of the miracles that he will do. He will talk of his suffering, his death, and his exaltation. But, but, but Isaiah is so specific. He says he will be born of a virgin. He says he will live in Galilee. He says he will be an heir of King David. He says that someone will come and prepare his way. John the Baptist. He says he will heal the brokenhearted. He says that he will be rejected by his peers. He says he'll be spat on and hit. He says that he will be disfigured and suffer. He says he will shed blood to make an atonement for sin. Isaiah says he will bear our sins and our sorrows. He will die alongside transgressors and he will be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah leaves no stone unturned. He says in the darkest of days, I will point you to the person that will redeem it all. 
And he's the first person to answer the question left open in the garden narrative. If you cast your mind back one last time, when God exiled humanity from the garden, he made a promise that a descendant of Eve will come and destroy the source of evil. But in doing so, that source of evil will bite its heel. And like mutually destruction, the descendant of Eve and the source of evil will die. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This King Jesus receives the wound for humanity's rebellion and it kills him. He was cut off out of the land of the living, says Isaiah in chapter 53, for the transgressions of my people was he was stricken. Jesus rises from the dead, defeats the source of evil, and now has power to overcome and restore this garden city of Jerusalem and bring people out of exile into his way. Isaiah pulls off one of the most majestic, remarkable writings in the whole of the Bible. He masters over two and a half thousand different Hebrew words. Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel don't even have all of those combined. He grasps the heart of God and his relationship with God is so deep that God speaks through him and he prophesies that at last a promised one will come who will remove the source of rebellion that destroyed the garden and destroyed the cities of the world and and paints this picture of, of restoring the city garden of God. He will suffer the pain of exile. He will draw alongside those that are outcast and he will provide us a way home home where the kingdom of God lives within every single one of us, home where the garden abundance of God is is ours to, to be blessed and enjoyed, home, a new Jerusalem that will come out of the skies to earth, where a garden city is established under the reign of one human who will not rebel, Jesus.